The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and ringtv.com and distributed by the Leave It In The Ring Network. It was my pleasure to have as my guest on this episode, uh, promoter and New York State Boxing Hall of Fame inductee, Joe DeGuardia. We spoke about Joe's upbringing in the Bronx with his father and uncle who were professional fighters. We talked about Joe's amateur boxing career, which culminated in him winning the 1988 New York Golden Gloves. We got into how he started in the program as a manager and then switched to promoting to keep his fighters busy and how that led eventually to him co-promoting such big events as Roy Jones, Antonio Tarver, and Manny Pacquiao, Chris Algieri. Also discussed his current roster of fighters, including Joe Smith and Carlos Takam, the difficulties of putting on club shows in the time of COVID, and Joe's attempt at organizing uh, the sport with the Boxing Promoters Association. It was a great conversation, and I really hope you enjoy it. So it is my distinct pleasure to have on this podcast a uh, man I've known for a long time. I've had a couple fighters who he's promoted. Um, he's definitely a guy who's, who's uh, you know, uh, been kind of an, uh, you know, a stalwart here in New York and keeping boxing alive here and, and, and promoting fights. Um, just want to welcome to the Boxing Esquire podcast, Mr. Joe DeGuardia. How you doing, Joe? Good, Kurt. How are you doing today? Great, great. You know, hanging in, hanging in. You know, I got a first question, of course, I got to ask you, you know, how are, how are you coping with things uh, in, uh, you know, this, this, this pandemic, this COVID craziness? How, how are you doing? How's your family? Well, family's doing okay, you know, like everybody else. We're we're rolling with the punches, you know, and right. with this COVID, you know, epidemic and everything else that happened, pandemic. Um, you know, it's like it's like being in a fight, not knowing where the punches are coming from. Right. But, uh, but you got to keep slipping. You got to keep uh, the hands up, and you know, you you work your way through it, and that's what we're doing. Like uh, everybody else is trying to do. Right. How about uh, you and your family, same? Yeah, same, you know, uh, just uh, dealing with, you know, all the school stuff. Uh, you know, my kids are, are, are off and, you know, for the summer, and, and usually they'd be going to some sort of summer camp, but there's no summer camp this year, so... Um, yeah, well, yeah, summer camps uh, camp M Hall. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily, you know, we have uh, you know Prospect Park not too far from here, and there's you know playground. You know, I mean, they're like, getting a little big for the playground, but they can at least get out and you know exercise a little bit, get out and do something. So, but it's crazy, man. It's so crazy. It's a pandemic. It's just it's you know, a whole different world. It's insane. Absolutely. Insane. Absolutely. Well, listen, I definitely wanted to get into your background, you know, really uh, interesting background. So tell tell people where you're from and where you grew up. Well, I grew up in uh, the Bronx, New York, uh, in the Morris Park section, a uh, neighborhood that I grew up in and spent my you know, whole youth, um, I guess, up until uh, I, I don't know, <laughs> all my life, basically, still uh, still. You know, do a lot in the Bronx, and you know, my businesses are down in the Bronx. Um, and uh, you know, my my background comes from being on the streets of the Bronx, and um, 
you know, coming from a boxing family. And because of that, um, I gravitated right away as a kid to the, uh, to the boxing gym. Right. Every day of my life. Yeah. What, what, when did you start? Uh, uh, well, let's talk about your dad. How was your, your dad was involved in boxing, right? Yeah. My dad and my uncle were both pro fighters. And, uh, you know, I, uh, so for a very young, I mean, I got pictures when I was a, a baby, you know, <laughs> a year old, two years old with the, the little gloves on, you know? <laughs> so everything I remember is of boxing. Wow. And, and I, you know, my father used to take me to the gyms when, when I was, you know, three, four, five, five years old, six years old. Um, and, you know, my earliest memories are boxing and boxing gyms. Wow. So when when did you actually uh, officially start boxing? I know you had an amateur career. Well, I, uh, you know, it's hard to tell you when the official start was because I don't remember the first time putting on gloves because, frankly, I, I've i always had them on. Um, <laughs> you know, whether it be in the basement of my house, you know, uh, boxing my father when I was, you know, four or five years old. <laughs> You know, it was uh, learning something every day. We would spar. Um, you know, spar back then. But my father wasn't really spar. It was okay. Learn the jab. Learn the jab. And I'd, I'd hit him in the face with the jab over and over. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, um, you know, that was that was my uh, my early youth was uh, you know in the basement boxing, and uh, we had a little patio outside, and we used to box out there, and you know the whether it be my father, then, you know, we'd have the whole neighborhood, you know, you just box whoever was there. <laughs> so in, in that context, I guess I started when I was, you know, I might say competitively when I was six, we started going to these smokers um, and you do these smoker fights. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you know what those are. No, I've been a while. Right. No, no, it's I mean I I did the same thing in Pennsylvania, but it it's kind of like a lost uh, you know, it, I mean the smokers, you know, they they used to keep the uh the local gyms alive too cuz you know, they charge money and 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 make some make a little money off them, right? It was kind of like unofficial amateur fights, right? Unofficial amateur fights. Right? You go over there, you line up and um you know, they, the guy who, whoever was running the particular gym would point to two guys and they'd have crowds there and they used to call them smokers because everybody was still smoking cigars <laughs> and everything else. Right. So, so the place would be full of smoke. Um, and, uh, and basically they'd pick two, you know, the two kids and you'd, you'd spar. No, not spar, fight actually. Right, um, right. Because they, they, they'd fight and they'd, they'd announce, usually the referee would just raise the hand of whoever he thought was the winner. Um, and that was basically my first starting, and ultimately um, we started getting into competitive uh, with uh, Steve Acunto's program. Mm. Uh, so we we used to go up to Steve's uh, place, and they had stuff going on. And Charlie Caserta, I don't know if you remember him from the Cage. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of they had a lot of boxing up there at the time in Westchester. So we used to bounce from the Bronx to Westchester. Uh, to Brooklyn and down to Harlem, uh, looking for smokers and fights, and you know you bounce from gym to gym, and you know all the old timers uh, had the gyms, and we used to go to the different gyms, and you know everywhere, you know it's it's an 
you know, boxing is a real fraternity in a lot of respects. Right. So even then in the smokers, you know, everybody knew each other. You'd go down to the Apollo gym, Cuevas' place, and you'd go down to, you know, the Third Third Avenue, um, Third Street gym it was, I believe, at the time, and then Jerome later, right. or Jimmy O out in Brooklyn. Uh, that was a little later, but not, not, I think Jimmy O was more like around like about 12, 13. Um, May you rest in peace, but, yeah, um, Jimmy, yep. Yeah, uh, so many of the guys. Jimmy the Nelson just died. COVID, right, yeah. Of the COVID, you know. That's right. On um, the place he had, um, you know, yeah, Gladys, and she had the Jer- place with Jerome. Um, but, but we used to bounce, you know, to all the different places and get sparring and go into the smoker fights. And eventually, they, you know, we started getting to more and more organized with the. Um, Again, Steve Acunto had some organized program. Um, and then a couple of times, I know we went over to the, the prison. We used to have prison matches. And, <laughs> Get um, out of here. You fought, you, did yeah. you fight a prisoner? You fight any prisoners? Yeah. Yeah, I did when I was young, <laughs> very young. <laughs> yeah, wow. many, many years ago. Um, and it was good, though. You know, truthfully, we'd go there and... You know, they, they'd have their boxing team, and they had, they had a lot more boxing in prisons back then. Right. Um, so you're and, talking and, the you know, 1970s, good, good early 80s? Is that is that what you're talking about? That was uh, 70s. Yeah, yeah but the yeah, 70s. By the time I got into the 80s, you know, I was in more, much more organized stuff, and you know, that was more like junior Olympic program. Well, actually, the 70s, I think I did the junior Olympics as well, late 70s. Um, and then, you know, it was the Golden Gloves and the Metros and the and the Kid Gloves and, um, you know, the Golden Gloves, uh, you know, the, 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 the team I traveled with the U.S., uh, you know, travel teams and things like that. So, you know, it was a lot of boxing, a lot of boxing and a lot of fun. You know, it was part of my, uh, my, my growing up, you know, <laughs> every day in the gym. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, your amateur career kind of culminated in uh, 1988 with the with the win. You won the open class, uh, Golden Gloves. It, it was at welterweight, right? At welterweight a couple of pounds ago. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. Well, you beat you beat a guy who went on to to challenge for the welterweight title, Larry Barnes, right? A very good fighter, Larry Barnes. Yeah, we had some we had some interesting matches with Larry and I. Um, <laughs> You know, and uh, yeah, it was great winning the Golden Gloves. And it was a big year. You know, we had the Olympic year, and it was uh, the three of us were really, you know, with the, you know, vying for that spot. It was Larry, myself, and Willie Wise, um, right. and we were all in the New York Gloves at that year. So it was it was an interesting time. You know, and a good year, a big year for for boxing in '88 in gloves. Absolutely, absolutely. So, did you go on to uh, to the regionals? Did you did you go to like the Eastern Trials or how far? Did I you... did. I went to the trials and um, I got a bum decision. <laughs> 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 it's unfortunate, you know. Uh. And Larry also. Larry and I both went different routes um, to the nationals, and Larry ultimately lost um, to Kenny Gould, who got the spot right you know, on the team. Right. Um, and Larry lost his decision to Kenny Gould that it was, you know, a lot of claims, you know, a lot of people thought he won. Mm. Um, and same thing with my, 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 uh, you know, my, uh, 
you know, attempted birth at the trials, you know. <laughs> um, but it's tough when you're in those three-round fights. You know, you got to get a lot accomplished in three rounds. Right, right. I had, I had the unfortunate, uh, I got sick in the trials. And when I was in it, I, I boxed still. But I had like a, a fever before and my, <laughs> it was my one experience that I, I thought I was dying because the night before I wasn't, I wasn't feeling well. I, I was my stomach. I was, I was you know, sick. I was throwing up and, mm. and the whole bit. Um, in any event, my, I kept taking Pepto-Bismol. So you know what happens when you drink too much Pepto-Bismol? Has that, has that ever happened to you? Have you uh-uh. ever done it? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Well, I woke up in the morning, the morning of the fight, because I had taken it the night before when I was sick, and my tongue was black. Oh. Okay, completely black. Oh. And I was scared. I was, you know, young. I was in the training. <laughs> I had no clue what it was, you know. What was wrong with me, you know? But, but it was, that's all it was. And, and I had fought that day, too, the day before, because, you know, you fight. I think I fought two times that, that, that day on Saturday, and then Sunday was the finals, whatever it was. Um, but I had my tongue out black, and um, I didn't know what was wrong with me, you know. <laughs> but that's what happens. You drink too much Pepto-Bismol, and your tongue gets black, some kind of reaction. Uh, so it's pretty common, I guess, but I have no clue. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's crazy. That is crazy. That's crazy. So you yeah, were in... But I had some great experiences in boxing, and, you know, it was great travel. I traveled through the U.S. team, and, you know, uh you know, got a good relationship with a lot of the guys on the team together. And, you know, we went, uh, you know, we, we did a couple of tours. In fact, I had a great tour once with, um, I think, well, Kelly was on the team, Kevin Kelly and Junior Jones. Mm. Um, and Junior was young. Junior was like 17. Every time I get together with Junior, we talk about the time we went to Norway and we fought. And he was so worried. He was fighting the guy who was like, um, the guy was like 26 years old. He was like a man, you know, like mm. and Junior kept saying, I shouldn't be, I think Junior was 16. I shouldn't be fighting him. He's a man. And, you know, I'm a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Junior, you're going to be fine. I was a little older than Junior. I think I was 27. And um, meanwhile, Junior wins the, the fighter of the night. He beats the heck out of the guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of great fighters in in New York at that time. I think Bo was Bo was around then too, right? Riddick in was there. Yeah, that was the same year. Riddick Bo won in '88, and you know, yeah, it, was, it was a big year, big year. I remember, we all were staying around for the Olympic team, so you know that always the Olympic years are, are, are you know big years, right? You know, back then at least you know, oh, for the gloves. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, '88 was a very strong team. We we brought home a bunch of golds, silvers from that on that on that team. I was Roy Jones was on that team too, right? In '88, Roy was on that team. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, it was a very strong team, very strong team. So all of this is going on, and and you're also going to law school, right? You were in uh, you were in law school at this point in time. I was in law school. I was <laughs> I was uh, rushing back. I, I remember. One of the trips we went, uh, I think I think it was might have been the, I think it was maybe the Norwegian trip or maybe Denmark or around there. Um, but I came back and I remember how to get to an exam. You know, we, we flew in. <laughs> I went straight to my administrative law exam. You know, I just sat down on time. I had my bags with me. <laughs> <laughs> that, is yeah, that is crazy. Something else. That is crazy. 
That is so crazy. So you made the decision not to turn to turn pro, right? You 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 never turned a professional as a boxer, right? You decided to to pursue. No, law. I didn't turn pro. I um, you know, I earlier like around eighty one, eighty two, um, you know, and I think up to eighty three, I was getting tons of offers. There was a lot of money at the time mm. coming out, you know, and uh, to turn pro. And my father, my father was a pro. We spoke about that a little while ago, my uncle. But they hated me fighting pro. Mm. Like, he, he didn't want me to fight. He actually didn't even want me to fight the amateurs. You know, like, he was crazy. You know, to him, it was like, what are you talking about? You're in law school. Finish law school, you know? <laughs> At the time, I was in college, you know, thinking about going to law school. <laughs> and it was the same thing, you know? There's no way, you know? But anyway, um, coming out of, like, even high school, I was getting big, big offers. Um and he would hide them from me, you know. And <laughs> I remember we were down in Florida with Angelo Dundee and all, and Angelo was trying to keep talking to him and stuff. And he'd leave him alone. He's a lawyer, be a lawyer, you know. Uh, and uh, but it was uh, it was wild, and um, I loved it. In my heart, I wanted to do it. Um, you know, in my head, I understood what he, you know, what his position was and what Paul's position was on it. And then in '88, when believe it or not, when I got done and I didn't get on the Olympic team. I was coming close. I was in my um, second year of law school. And, um, you know, I had to make a decision, really. And, again, I was getting off because then they turned pro as well. And and I, I, I was 24 at the time. Right. Um, and my uh, I was I was actually thinking I was old. Because you know? <laughs> you know, I, I was in a car accident in 81, and that kept me out of the ring for a little bit. Um, and... I remember thinking I was old, you know, like I was getting old, not 81, 82 was the accident, but somewhere around there. But anyway, um, I was thinking 24 was old, you know, I gotta be crazy. Now I look back 24, give me that 24. again. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So you ended up, uh, you, you graduated law school. You ended up, uh, working as an assistant DA in the Bronx. Is that, is that right? That's where I went, right to the DA's office. Uh, started, uh, you know, right away in the uh, criminal bureau division over there, and uh, ultimately, uh, you know, had a good experience in the DA's office. Tried a lot of cases, mm. um, but yeah, I, I um, went directly from law school into the DA's office. Wow, wow. Um, it was an experience. An experience. I grew up in right in the Bronx anyway, and I went to Bronx DA's office, so. It was unique and different. Um, you know, I I knew a lot of people. Sometimes they were on the opposite side of the table from me. And say, hey, Joe! You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, every once in a while, I'm uh, pretty often I get called into the DA's office. You know, you know this guy, you know? So, yeah, I know him. <laughs> uh, but it was, you know, it was uh, it was a good job. And um, you know, I learned a lot there. Um uh, but I, you know, stayed involved in boxing the whole right. time, and you know, uh, stayed in the gyms, um, and uh, you know, even when I was in the DA's office, I actually started working with fighters, you know, training and things like that, managing. Right, not not too long after uh, you 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 started, uh, you practiced law. You took over your dad's gym, right? Was it, it was in the early nineties? You took over uh, Morse yeah, Park gym. In, uh, in, um, 90, um, I think it was about 91 or 92. My father had the gym since 76 or 75. 
I used to train there. Um, and, you know, it was, he had it more like, you know, for me and for the neighborhood. And it was always a community-based program. And, you know, we always felt uh, he did very strongly. And I feel now that, you know, boxing is good for the community and it's good for the youth. And he always wanted to make sure he kept the gym. So when I became, you know, I became, I graduated from law school and I was working for the DA's office. Uh, I had an opportunity to move the gym to a bigger location. So, you know, I, I ended up buying a building and putting the gym inside this building uh, where we moved it to. So we had a bigger place for the gym and we expanded and things like that. And, you know, my father still stayed involved from a, you know, he, was, he would volunteer a lot of his time, but, um, you know, he mostly did the gym as it was more like a gratis to the community. And um, so we, we expanded on that and kept it going, you know, and built it up and you know, made it bigger. And I, I moved more into uh, into the pro, you know, field uh, as well, which he had done. He had pro fighters. He had Angel Quindo and those kinds of guys years ago, uh, who was a you know, good light heavyweight back when. Right. That light heavyweight division seems to call us. I don't know. That's right. So you started managing fighters, right? Sometime in sometime in the nineties. Managing fighters, yeah. yeah. In fact, Lou Deval, light heavyweight, another one. Right. Uh, David Telesco, you know, they're all uh, light heavies. Right. Maybe maybe that's why I'm sitting around light heavyweight right now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. So you you managed Lou um, and and I guess Telesco and I know you had Brian Adams for a little while too, like a smaller fighter. Brian maybe. Adams, yeah, yeah, took him out of the pros. Brian was a great amateur. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we 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 tried the uh, you know we had we had that um, that. Um, kind of fighter that we tried which would would now has happened in the game um and i guess you know but brian fell a little short and you know, we we where we moved them quicker you know when you get a guy to like 12 13 fights and you know we felt brian was ready and brian i know buddy mcgirt you know was very very he was a trainer was very very strong and uh, on the fact that he thought brian was ready we should step him up right now and we put him into a fight down in texas uh, and he lost the decision down there with the, um, you know, what would have been a fight that really was the, the make or break, you know, to put him, you know, the way like Delahoya and these guys did when they made that move right. uh, quicker, you know, because uh, Brian was a, an outstanding amateur. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Brian's bugaboo in the pros was his just right hand. Just He must have broke it, what, like three or four times. I mean, he, and it happened, yeah, seemed to happen in big fights, so... Very yeah. talented guy, but just uh, his hands just kind of came apart by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and a lot of times that's life, you know, in, in boxing, you know, a lot of times it's the little breaks right. in life. Not, not, not to have the pun of breaks, because he had a lot of breaks in his hands. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of times that's what happens. You know, you get, you know, the wrong break, a wrong kind of injury, the wrong decision, or the wrong, you know, it could alter a guy's career. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, so you 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 basically went from managing to promoting. Uh, you you formed Star Boxing Promotion. I think sometime in the late nineties, right? You you moved to uh, from managing 90s. to promoting. Yeah, yeah, basically from management. I mean, originally I went into promotion more because I was having trouble moving my fighters, mm. and um, you know, so we started promoting so we could develop our guys. Right. Um, and and ultimately the promotion just kept getting bigger and bigger and. You know, 
there came a point in time where we had to make a decision which way, way to go. And we, we, you know, I stuck with the, uh, the promotion. I thought I could have more of an impact in the game um, you know, on, on a broader scale. Right, right. Absolutely. I mean, listen, over the years, like you said, you had Lou Del Val. Um, obviously, Antonio Tarver was, was a guy who, uh, you know, you, you, you had one of the best fighters in the game for a little while when he knocked out Roy Jones. Um, oh, yeah, it was a great, that was a great night. I yeah. see Antonio a lot. It's a lot of fun to talk to now and reminisce about it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Didn't you, didn't you also promote uh, Montel Griffin for a little while? Yeah, Montel Griffin I had, uh, Reggie, Reggie Johnson I had, I mean, right. so many of them. You know, Derek Harmon for a little while. Wow. A lot of those light heavyweights. Plus Telesco, yeah. yeah. Telesco, now we, you know, we're still in the light heavyweight division with Joe Smith, right? That's right, that's right. Well, yeah, let's talk about Let's talk about your current roster and, and, and who you have right now. So, um, yeah, Joe Smith, um, got a, he's got a, a, a big fight coming up. Why don't you talk about uh, what's going on with Joe? Yeah, look, Joe's um, Joe's been a real, you know, rewarding experience for me. You know, it's um, you know the game. There's so many highs and lows in boxing. You know, it, um, you know where you you have a lot of different kinds of experiences. And you know, with Joe, I tell you, when, when he knocked out Tom Farrell, mm. I, I literally jumped out of my seat. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if I jumped that high in a long time. You know, it was a great experience because. When you got a guy who's a twenty to one underdog, you know it's 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 amazing. You know, same thing like when, you know, almost when when Tarver knocked out uh, Roy Jones. You know, it's like, oh my God, look at this! You know? right. <laughs> it it brings out the fan in you. You know, absolutely. Um, and it's hard, you know that's not that easy because uh, let's face it, you know, you sit at you know thousands and thousands of boxing matches that promoted hundreds and hundreds of fights. You know, show shows and thousands of fighters and you know uh on cards and things like that so you know it's, it's nice and rewarding when you could when they could pull out the thing that really makes you love the sport so much and yeah. and i had those experiences with joe you know and obviously when he knocked out um you know knocked bernard out of the ring you know <laughs> the real experience you know and i love bernard you know i respect bernard and um hopkins and i have a real good relationship um but you know, it was something else. You know, it was it was really exciting and um, bittersweet because you know I know Bernard and and all, but you know it was rewarding. Um, especially, I finally got Bernard back for the you know what he did to Antonio Tarver. Right, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and Bernard was an underdog that night. So yeah, yeah, big underdog that night. You know, nobody really expected that one. Right, right. But that's the boxing game. It's like so exciting. And now, you know, we have, um, I'm hopeful that Joe, you know, I really want, would love to see Joe grab the light of the championship in the world. I know he really wants it. And, um, you know, he's been training. He had a nice good win against Jesse Hart a couple, you know, before the, right before the pandemic hit. Um, right. And now we have Alvarado, uh, Alvarez, Ellie uh, uh, Alvarez scheduled for August 22nd. Um, he was supposed to fight July 16th. Uh, but uh, as as often happens in this game, you know, it got postponed um, <clears throat> because uh, of Alvarez's, uh, I'll say, his um, boxing injury. I don't, <laughs> I'm a little skeptical of it. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, 
but look, fortunately, it's it's back on, and uh, it'll be on August 22nd. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be a great fight. <laughs> Joe's definitely one of those guys who, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, you can never count him out because he hits so hard. You know, I mean, that oh. that Bivol fight, it was just like just so unfortunate that he kept catching Bivol at the end of rounds because he definitely shook oh, him. Oh man, you're not <laughs> kidding. That that tenth round when he hit him. And I mean, Bivol was out. Yes. And, and watching Bivol, I mean, I was right when, when you're at ringside. Like it's hard to see the angles, but from uh, you know on a television. But I mean, Bivol was completely out. And if that punch had taken place five seconds earlier, or never mind that, if it would have just happened in Joe's corner, where right. Bivol would have had a walk through, would have sort of collapsed. Because he, he was fortunate it happened on the side and he was able to grab the rope and, and walk his way back to the corner. Right. But uh, but it was uh, that was something else. And yeah, that's what Joe's got. He's got that punches shot at any time. And Bivol, to his credit, I mean, he recuperated unbelievably and came back the next round. Uh, Bivol's a really good fighter. Um, yes, he is. But, but yes, that, that Joe's got that, that great equalizer. You know, at any point in time in a fight, he could end it. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, the Alvarez fight's going to be a great one. You had uh, your heavyweight uh, who you picked up, uh, you know, people kind of giving up on Carlos to calm, you know, after he lost to Joshua and, uh, you know, had a nice win on ESPN, puts himself in uh, in a position for a big fight. Uh, how'd you come on, uh, you know, how, how did you get in touch with uh, to calm? Well, you know, they reached out to me, actually, believe it or not. I, I, um, had a relationship uh, for a while in France with a couple different fighters, and you know I've had some good relationships and good experiences with some guys there. Um, they were aware of it. I had met him a couple times before, and you know he always liked, I guess, the way I treated him. And um, and his trainer was uh, somebody who I've done business with years and years ago, and um, you know they had a lot of confidence and trust in me, and they reached out and. You know, we got together, and as soon as I, um, you know, we got together, I mean, I, I knew that I could do a lot of things with Carlos, and um, I was excited, obviously, to make the deal and made sure I cut the deal, you know, and I'm glad we did. I mean, I, I like Carlos. I, I, I think very highly of him. I, I liked him, you know, back when, when he came out and from the Olympics um, and was, you know, a highly touted amateur out there in Europe. Um, and, I've, I've again, I've had good success with uh, the French, <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, some, I, I just, uh, I'm going to divert a second. We'll come back to Carlos, but you know, last week I got a call from, uh, Ali Obali. I don't know if you know Ali Obali. Yeah. I remember Ali um, real, really tough fighter, man. I was bummed. Uh, real tough fighter. Yeah. Didn't see more and, of them over here. A real gentleman, yeah. you know, and, and, um, so we had promoted him back when I put him on a couple of TV spots and we were moving him and ultimately he went back to France and, um, you know, he, uh, you know, he ended up changing direction in his, in his, in his life basically. But, um, you know, I had one of those rewarding things in boxing. I got a call from him last uh, two weeks ago and he called me to tell, tell me that he wanted to let me know that he just got done being sworn in as deputy mayor of Paris. Wow. And he was calling, yeah, and he was calling to thank me. 
you mm. know, and he was thanking me because of some things I had done for him and also the way, you know, I gave him, you know, he was able to live his dream by coming here, fighting here and, and all those kinds of things. And, you know, it was real rewarding because, you know, you don't usually get that. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it was rewarding that, you know, frankly, here he is calling and thanking me. The guy who just became deputy mayor. I'm, I'm over there congratulating him and, you know, thanking him for doing something real successful with his life after boxing. And I'm so happy for him. Um, and, but it's an example, you know, he, I, I've always found like that my relationship with the, with the French fighters, I, they, there has been good, you know, and, um, and I think that had a, you know, significant role probably in Carlos also reaching out. Um, you know, I haven't really gone through it in detail with him, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's like, uh, and Carlos does say this, you know, it's karma, you know, life is karma, you know, so so yeah. it's good. It was good, and um, and in any event, um, it was a rewarding experience to hear that from Ali, and it's so rewarding that he's done so well um, out there outside of boxing. And yeah. for Carlos, you know, we got together, we put the deal together, and um, you know, we made the deal. I think in late July, maybe or August, whatever it was, when we solidified, and I told him I get him right in the ring, and we we did. We put him on in September. Uh, up at Resorts World from the Catskills and, you know, got him. He got a nice win there and came back again in February. I, you know, he wanted to see what it was like to fight in the famed Paramount, you know, when we do our series. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I figured let's put him in a hotbed, you know. Yeah, uh, sure. But it was good, you know, so we put him on over there and obviously ultimately led to this fight with, um, you know, with this... Uh, Jerry Forrest, uh, yeah. Forrest, Jerry Forrest. And, um, you know, he had a great win on ESPN and certainly puts him in great position. I, I'm working with, um, with Bob on, um, on his next fight right now. Um, and, um, I'm looking forward to his next one. We're looking for something big. It'll probably, I'm hoping, hoping that it would be, uh, actually Rivas. We were scheduled to fight cause I like that fight. Um, that's a great uh, fight, but it could be, yeah, I, I, I love it. Um, and you know, the, the parlay from the win, over Rivas after a win over Forrest will be huge. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, hopefully, I, I expect he'll probably be back late September or October. Okay. Okay. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Cause that, that, that's definitely, uh, yeah, that, 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 that was a fight I had definitely looking forward to. And, uh, yeah, for sure, the winner of that fight, especially getting that win over Forrest, he's got some momentum now. Uh, yeah. Win. Over uh, over Rivas, arguably put him in the top ten, you know, and uh, you know some definitely big fights uh, on the horizon. So, so yeah, man. I mean, you've got some other great fighters on the roster: Chris Algieri and Cletus Seldon and and Richie uh, Popeye the Sailor Man Rivera. Um, you know, uh, but right now, you know, as a promoter, you know, you, you've been around the block a few times, you've done big shows, you've done, and you also do shows on a smaller scale, like you said, recently, you know, kind of the last couple of years, you've been running at the Paramount out in, uh, Huntington, Long Island, uh, which is generally a smaller scale show. Um, just, to, you know, just tell me what makes the, the, the Paramount an, an attractive, uh, venue for you. Oh, I love it. I tell you, you know. Yeah, obviously, from a financial standpoint, you know, you always want those, you know, mega Tarba fights, you know. Right, right. Um, but, but there's nothing, to me, I mean, it's just kind of so rewarding to be able to do a show at the Paramount. You know, you have 
it's a club level show. I mean, it's a beautiful, the place is gorgeous. Um, right. You know, it's like, it's always like the blue horizon on steroids, you know, right. it's, uh, it is nice. it's, just, it's just something else. It's a great, great club venue. And, you know, but it's the blue horizon on steroids, but clean. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The Blue Horizon for all its charms was a bit of a hole. You know, it was not it was yeah, not a nice exactly. place. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh but the Paramount, you know, it's a wonderful, beautiful place. It's it's you know it's uh it's uh, in some respects it's like, you know, clean and high end, but yet it's it's really down to earth and it's got that club boxing environment and you know, I'm a real you know, I come from you know, listen, I guess. I never worked out in like one of these fancy gyms. I worked out in a boxing gym my whole life, you know, sweaty, right. grimy boxing gym. <laughs> and you know, one <clears throat> one thing it's it's hard to recreate those that club series and those club fights. And you know, there's nothing like it when the fans are there and they're excited and they're coming to see their the fighters they want to support. And and also the fighters, you know, it's look. Obviously, we all want to work with you know with Tarvers and we want to work with, you know, when I have Joe in a mega fight or when Chris is fighting Manny Pacquiao, I mean, those are, those are real experiences, you know, but, but there's nothing like when you, when you got a, you know, these young and hungry fighters coming up or, or even, you know, the, even the opponents in a lot of respect, they, you know, there's a certain, um, realness to them. And, and, you know, I don't, it's, it's hard to, put a grasp on the words but it's it's really it's a it's it's like a a humble you know desire i guess um and you know i I say realness you know and and, you know it's really rewarding to work with those kinds of guys and to to see them you know and when they're in a club venue like that how they get fired up for a fight and you know put their hearts out um, you know, on the line and, and, you know, desiring that victory and <clears throat> having the fans fuel that and, and building them. Um, you know, it's a rewarding thing to go through and to see. And, you know, you take a kid from, from the ground level up and you watch him progress along, the, you know, on along it, you know, it's, it's really something special. So to me, the Paramount's you know, dear to my heart. I, I really, I love the place because I love what we've been able to create out of it. And, you know, I love, I love the experience that, that people and fans and, and the fighters have there. Um, and, you know, frankly, you know, when you look there, I mean, there's no real boxing in New York. And, right. you know, we, we're fortunate that we have a, a, a venue there that at least up until this COVID <laughs> uh, was able to keep boxing going and, keep guys, you know, being able to get activity and, and, um, you know, in fights here. Um, so it's been special for me. Uh, and we've been, we've been doing, you know, since 2012 now at the Paramount, at least, you know, I guess on an average of four to six shows a year, sometimes more. Um, but it's, you know, it's rewarding and, um, you know, it's real dear to my heart. I love the people there and, you know, I love the owners and I'm very close with them now and the fans and, you know, and the fighters we've been able to develop out of it. I mean, it's been a, what a hotbed, you know, for developing fighters. I mean, we've, we've had some unbelievable guys that we've been able to, you know, build through there and other fighters that we put through there, um, you know, to get them activity. It's been something special. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you've definitely, you've got, you know, a number of undefeated guys that, that, that you're developing right now, like uh, Bubakar Sila and uh, Tyrone James, you know, Anthony Laureano, Wendy Toussaint. You've, you've definitely got some guys uh, on the way up. So yeah, I definitely wanted to ask you, you know, you're talking about, you know, you know, being able to, to do those level of shows in New York. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd definitely give you some credit here. Both, both you and I were part of a, uh, a panel discussion a few years ago about whether MMA should be legalized in New York. And, and one of your concerns was whether, you know, MMA organizations, you know, they wouldn't be subject to the Ali Act and, and also that they might stretch the uh, New York State Athletic Commission a little too thin. I think one thing maybe neither of us really anticipated was that that onerous, you know, insurance requirement that, uh, that eventually became part of the legislation that, that legalized MMA. And I guess that probably came about because of the the heavyweight uh, Mago who got who got really injured, but uh, talk to me about how your local shows were affected by uh, the change in insurance demands from from the, from the state of New York. No, look, I mean it's, it was <clears throat> tremendously burdensome to be able to do it, and you know we we a little fortunate because we had the Paramount, and I have a little base of operation, and you know I have like a almost like a cookie cutter presentation every show, so I'm able to. You know, I was able to survive it, um, but it certainly impacted the number of shows we were able to do. Uh, we had to cut back on our shows because the cost is just too great right. uh, from the insurance. And and another byproduct of it, which you know some people might think is good for me, but it's really not, and that's it dried up action. There's no other promoters able to do shows. Right. Uh, Lou did a couple, but but you know he he's tried out pretty much. I mean, he left New York in a lot of respects um, because he really couldn't do as many. And you know the other promoters, like all the other guys that were doing shows, really fell by the wayside. They can't do them. Right. And you know it's costly enough doing a show in New York, and there's enough problems in, in putting together a boxing event. When you combine that with the added cost for the insurance, it makes it very difficult. And when those guys fall by the wayside and can't do shows, although it seems good for me because I have less competition, so to speak, it's actually not because I prefer to have other guys promoting. I prefer to have other people putting on events because what that does, it gives more boxers up activity. It enables more opponents to come here and right. get tested and be ready. Right. And, you know, therefore you can make other matches and stuff. When, when all of a sudden you're the lone guy on the island, you know, look, it's, it's it's more difficult getting guys to the island. Right, right. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. And just so people know what we're talking about, I mean, I, I forget what was the requirement, like 20 or 30 grand in insurance that you had to have before, and now it's like a million dollars? Um, it's a million dollars. You need a million dollar TBI, which is traumatic brain injury coverage, um, which was a result of the Magna fight. But, um, look, I... I you know, I don't. I hate to talk any politics, but um, you know, it gets um, frustrating because, in many respects, it seems like it was a band aid um, to a situation when I think that you really should be looking at what can you do to prevent a cut in the first place. Right. You know? Right. So if kids are if kids are in school, you know, slashing each other with knives, take the knives away. Don't buy band aids. Right, you know? right, right, so, right. And and to me, the insurance was, you know, like a, a subterfuge, you know, to say, okay, we're doing something. Because I, I really don't see it as having that kind of an impact right. um, 
when I when I think the real thing is to make sure that uh, you know doctors check them properly and do the types of things that need to be done. Um, but again, you hit it on the head. It was more of a trade-off with that MMA and bringing the MMA in, and now you get the insurance. You know, a lot of times it works out that way. Right. Um, but look, we've uh, you know we adapt and we roll, and you know we've been able to make it work. Um, now, the first couple of years, first two years after it, were really dramatic uh, impacts upon us. And while what happened was the state still saw revenues coming in because at the time PBC was getting hot with uh, its events on um, at the Barclays Center. And the Barclays right. Center was being hot because the Barclays Center was making a massive push in boxing because they had just come in and they were trying to, you know, boost up uh, all of their activities. But, you know, they don't see that the club level was hurting so bad because of the costs. Right. And and that club level really hurts developing opponents, developing fighters locally, and you know, giving New York a fair opportunity to compete. New York fighters to compete with guys from other states who don't have the same burdensome regulations. Right. I don't um, think there's any other state so, that has that, that that requires that level and anywhere near that level of insurance for uh, for no. boxing matches or or MMA fights. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't. But it's you know look it's um it's tough and I, I get it you know you you know you you know a lot of people don't understand the game as much and don't understand you know the the things taking place so you know it looks like okay well why not get more insurance you know right uh, but you end up you know in a lot of respects they're hurting the guys that they you know really should be helping that need to help and that's the fighters you know who can't get the action right. And I think too. I mean, they were promising. Well, you know, at a certain point, you know, we'll 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 be able to find, you know, in, in you know, like the cost of insurance will come down with it. You know, you'll find someone who will offer you like a reasonable policy and all that. But I don't think that's really <laughs> been the case, right? I mean, it's still like really the cost is pretty prohibitive uh, to get that that, that million dollar uh, policy for the fight. Yeah, the cost is prohibitive, although. It has come down slightly. What we've done is we've been doing a lot of, um, you know, year policies and things like that and innovative ways to try to, um, you know, basically take the number of shows we do and enable our costs to come down because we're doing, you know, X quantity of shows here. Right. Well, that's interesting. But it's it's still, you know, it's still a, a nut to have to pay. And, you know, we're in a sport where... You know, it's difficult to maintain as is, you know. Um, so so it's tough. It's a tough situation. Absolutely. Well, now, pile on top of that, <laughs> you know, you've managed to persevere in spite of the insurance requirements. And now now we got to deal with COVID. And uh, I just saw some directive from uh, the state of California, their their commission, where they sent out kind of a memo where they're requiring, you know, like a minimum of, of about a thirty-five to forty grand spend on uh, testing for COVID, and you know, uh, gloves, and, and and you know, like you know, the, the rubber gloves and the masks, and 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 you know, all the testing. I mean, they're 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 saying you know, they're basically putting it out to promoters. You know, this is this is like the minimum. This is the like the bill. You know, this is what you're going to have to do. Um, this is the amount of testing you're going to have to do if you want to do a show in California. I was just wondering, has New York State even uh, put out anything 
um, the, the the commission? No, no not yet. Um, it doesn't, and you know, who knows when right. we'll be able to get. You know, what the what, what the ultimate is. I mean, let's face it. Um, and New York does have. I mean, they they are working on things, and and they do have. Um, you know, they they have a, a basic structure from which they believe they're going to be able to go forward with. But the um, the issue is that look, you you can't put on fights without. Um, you can't have fans right now. Right. So no matter how you no fight, gate. you're not going right. to be able to have fans. So when you look at that and you say, okay, well, let's look at, you know, what do we do? Do we fight in New York with no fans? The, the, one of the values to come into New York and dealing with the extra costs and regulations uh, and taxes are because you're able to generate dollars. Right. And, and you can't generate those dollars. You can't really do press conferences. So it's not like you're going to get some kind of added value by being in the heart of New York City. Right. Um, because, frankly, that doesn't exist these days. Right. Um, so, so a lot of the reasons why you would come to New York to do events just don't exist. Right. So why, I, I don't see it happening until fans are able to be back in uh, and, you know, and, and basically be in, in the audience where you could at least generate some dollars. Um, you know, how do you, the only way you're able to do those kinds of events now is because you get subsidized by television. Right, right. So, you know, to come here and do a television event like that, you know, their costs are tremendous to do an event in New York um, when you're doing an event. And you get, oh, everything's much more expensive here. Right. Um, everything from, and then, you know, uh, there's a whole host of things. Why, why cost-wise, it's just too difficult um, without fans. And certainly we can't do a club show without fans. It just makes no sense at all. We just have no revenue. So the cost would be just too much to lose. Right. Yeah. I saw, I saw Lou, Lou gave an interview, uh, you know, for, for a boxing scene a couple of days ago where he was just saying, yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm basically out of business right now. You know, my, my baseball teams aren't going to play and, 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 uh, and boxing, you know, I just, you know, I, with no audiences, yeah, you can't do the club shows. You can't, uh, you know, and and his Broadway boxing, like you said, had basically been moving, you know, off of Broadway and, and out of state because of the insurance. And now with with COVID, with no gate, it's just it's making it really, really tough on, on to do the smaller shows. To do the smaller shows is crazy. Uh, yeah, and it hurts. It hurts the guys that really, you know, need that activity. Right. You know, it, it's you know, you, the fighters need to be in that ring, and they're they, you know they're not making big money when they fight on those calling shows, but they're advancing their careers, right? And getting to the stage where they can ultimately make it, and you could see the light at the end of the tunnel um, when when you have activity, right? Uh, and if you don't have activity, I mean, it's you know, it's disheartening, you know, and you know, you need you need to have drive in many things in life, but certainly a fighter needs that drive, and. You know, it's difficult to get that drive if you can't get any activity. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 definitely rough. Definitely rough for uh, for the fighters who aren't. You know, uh, you know, don't have the. You know, like you got Top Rank, you got PBC, you got Matchroom. You know, they all got the big lucrative TV deals, and you know, everyone else is. You know, it's 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 kind of catch as catch can. It's very difficult. Um, yeah. And it's unfortunate because, you know, you know, our game has always been, you know, the top make all the money and the bottom don't make much money. Right. Um, 
but at least the bottom would have activity to be able to rise to the top. Right. Right. You know, and it's, you know, with this situation right now, it makes it more difficult for that to be the case. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Just talk about something, uh, you know, that you were involved in and basically got started that, uh, that was, you know, potentially very revolutionary. And I think, uh, an idea that really should be revisited, um, in, in my opinion, in, in 2009, uh, you formed a uh, boxing promoters association. Um, so, what was what was the what gave you the idea for that? Were you were you reacting to something in the market? Um, you know, what, how how did that uh, organization come about? Yeah, look, the market was uh, uh, at the time the promoters were getting banged up from every step of the way, and you know, from a regulatory standpoint and every other standpoint, and. You know, I think a lot of people were making decisions that didn't really know what was really happening. And, you know, we, <laughs> and we really, I said, hey, you know, we, we got to have a voice. You know, this is, uh, we're the guys that know what's going on here. And um, and I also felt that we could do a lot for the sport. You know, if um, there's a lot of, and I still believe that. And really, we came together. We got a lot accomplished, but, um, and, you know, like anything else, once you get the things accomplished, you know, people say, okay, well, we got what we had to get, you know, <laughs> but there's just so many other things that, that exist in our sport that, um, I believe that, um, you know, working together benefits and, you know, our interests aren't always going to be the same, but as an industry, there has to be some kind of focal point um and our industry doesn't have that so nobody really speaks on behalf of our industry or works on behalf of our industry um and you know to me that would be a good impetus to be able to get that to work um and you know ultimately you know my my vision has been and is you know to pull in the other aspects of the industry ultimately as well i mean you know there's 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 a promoter side, there's a fighter side, there's a management side, there's a uh, sanctioning body side, there's a regulatory side. You know, the, all of these um, different facets of the game really should be working together. Again, even though our interests aren't always going to be the same, you, know, you have to be able to work together in a lot of respects to be able to make the, the game better. Right, uh, absolutely. When when I was looking, I mean, I, I remember talking to people at the time, and I think you know a, a lot of the promoters were upset. I mean, back back in two thousand nine, HBO was pretty much the sport. They were the big bank in the sport, and then you had Showtime, and and then you had you know maybe ESPN, Friday Night Fights, and and in the U.S. certainly that w- that was pretty much the the ball game. I mean, there might have been some other regional TV deals, but. Um, you know, around that time, I remember Golden Boy seemed to have like a special relationship with HBO and they they got an output deal and no other promoter had one. And I know a lot of the promoters were, were upset about that. Um, so I think, you know, at least some of the promoters I talked to who had joined, you know, the idea was, listen, if, if we all band together, you know, maybe we can all like get a TV deal, you know, and, and almost almost have like a league, you know. 
um, have your own league and 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 have like this this band of promoters together and and you know sell it as one package. And I thought that was really novel, and I thought that that was something that that you guys could have worked towards. I mean, was that was that something you guys had, had talked about and and uh, it, you know within the meetings? No, absolutely. Um, that was part of it. Uh, there were many, many different facets to it. Many things we were trying, we worked on getting done, and some things we've gotten done, some things we didn't. But it was. Um, Certainly, to be able to go and collectively uh, work out a deal with networks and things like that uh, would ultimately bring in so much more to the industry. Right. And that that would be the ultimate goal. And frankly, you know, in many respects, the networks, you know, wouldn't really want that because they obviously get some kind of benefit when we're competing against each other. But I think in the bigger picture, I think that it would have benefited the networks. Right. And I think Absolutely. that, you know, maybe HBO would still be in the game right now and certainly would be able to make deals with, you know, network television and everything else because, you know, stability is very important. And, and if you have stability and if you have uniformity, um, and if you have some kind of semblance of a structure, right. you know, it gives so much more confidence to a network, to executives, to sponsors, to to the public. Um, and those kinds of things are important, I think, to have. And every other sport um, basically does have that. Yes. And those kinds of things help those sports thrive. And you, you might not like, you know, when the NBA or the NFL comes down with a ruling that's against, you know, the owners or against the team or something they think is burdensome and all, but it's still, they collectively work together. Right. And ultimately they're all bound by the same set of rules. Yes. Right now we're not all bound by the same set of rules. And, you know, a lot depends upon, you know, your power and a lot depends upon your, your pocket and a lot depends upon um, your relationship and all those kinds of things. And all of that's always going to exist. I understand that. But, if you can do that within the framework of the uniform rules, uh, I think that's beneficial. Um, and we don't have that. Yeah, Joe. I mean, I, you you are you you're like you know you're preaching right now. I I I, I loved all that. I mean, I actually wrote an article. Uh, you know, it you know it was on my blog like a year or so ago, maybe 2018, where you know I, when I saw the World Boxing Super Series, I'm like, this is what boxing should be. Like, there should be. Like a, you know a, a you know the boxing promoters association like all of these guys should be in on this because every other, this is how every other sport works you know I mean you have you have a tournament you know to to determine who the champion is every year you know and and all of the uh, you know to me boxing to me right now is like college football was it's like you've got all these conferences all these different conferences out there. And, you know, you have some ratings, but, you know, you don't know who's number one. You know, you've got all these different conference champions, and they'll play in this bowl game, and some of them will play in this bowl game. And, you know, back back in the day, you weren't guaranteed that number one would you know play number two, and, and, and you'd get like a, a consensus uh, college football champion. And that's how boxing is. You kind of have like the PBC conference on on Fox. You've got the top ranked conference on ESPN. You've got you know Matchroom conference on DAZN. Um, but you know there's no guarantee that 
their champions will fight each other and, and you'll have the best fighting the best. And I just felt like, like the, 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 you know, if I had to look in the recent past, like, you know, you know, what, what's the paradigm for boxing? And I just felt like your organization, like the Boxing Promoters Association, something like that, where they all band together. And then if you, if you do these tournaments, you know, you can still have the PBC on Fox. You can still have Top Rank. You can have those conferences have their network, but just do tournaments. Just everybody get together and agree to do those tournaments of like the top eight fighters in each division, no matter what belt they hold or whatever. You use like a independent rating system or have some sort of media thing that, that polls like college football does. I mean, it's not rocket science. And, and it just seemed like, you know, you were like the guy who was just like, you know, come on, you know, why can't we be like every other sport and do this? You know, like if we're all on the same page and, and we all like, you know, at least agree to have, you know, tournaments in, in weight divisions, maybe you, you, you have like four or five different divisions a year. And, and now, Joe, there's no there's never been more money in the sport. You know, now's the time to do it. And it's just so frustrating that that, you know, you can't get a Bob Arum and an Al Heyman and uh, Eddie Hearn to, to, to agree to something like a boxing promoter association or some sort of organization to, to bring boxing together. Yeah, well, look, I, I believe that I, I haven't given up yet. <laughs> and I still, I'm working on some things, um, you know, and I have been working on some things and I'm hoping that it comes together. You know, you gotta, it's a difficult scenario in one regard. And that is, you know, the, when you're at the top, right. or you have that contract like PBC does or Matchroom does or, or Bob does, you know, look, it's, it, you know, hey, you know, they're doing okay. And right. it's difficult, you know, to say, okay, well, let me let me give this out. Right. Now, you know, I believe that, you know, that the industry could be generating 10 times, 20 times, 100 times what it's generating now right. if we were to get together like that. Absolutely. Um, and, and that pie would be so much more of a bigger pie to share and, and – and their pieces would be much bigger anyway. Right. But, um, but that's, you know, it's a process to be able to make everybody understand that. And obviously there's a lot of different um, dynamics because of the personalities and, and individuals. Um, and I understand it, you know, but, uh, but there are things I'm working on and I'm, I'm actually working on trying to do it from a little bit of a different tack. Um, but that I think will ultimately uh, get everybody on board and, you know, I'm hopeful, you know, I, I, I believe it. I love the sport and I think that, you know, there could be so many things that our sport could be doing, um, to make it so much better. And, you know, when you think about the fact that we're able to generate the eyeballs and dollars that we generate now fragmented, right? I mean, we're, we're more fragmented than any other sport. But Absolutely. We look at the numbers we generate, right? Um, could you imagine if you, if everybody, at least I'm not saying everybody can have the same interest, you know, look, the giants don't have the same interest all the time as the 49ers. Right. But ultimately, you know, there is a cohesiveness to them uh, in football. And when the NFL negotiates a deal, that negotiation is a huge deal. Right. Um, because it's not negotiated by all teams. It's negotiated right. by one entity. Uh, on the big scale, and obviously each of them have their own regionals and things like that, um, and that's a good model, you know. But um, but everybody's got to understand and look and say, hey, you know, we we could do this, and we might not all agree all the time on everything, 
but the same thing happens in the corporation. You go into a corporation, you go into a law firm, you know, you get into that room in that conference room, everybody's arguing with each other, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because not everybody's going to have the same view. But yet right. the direction ultimately takes a certain direction. Um, and, and you take that through a, a uniform structure. And I believe that, and I believe ultimately, I think it'll happen. It's just a question of when. Right. No, I, I completely... Right now is a good time, by the way. Yeah, that, that, you know? I couldn't agree with you more, Joe. I mean, I think, like, you know, I, I love the World Boxing Super Series because you've got the best fighting the best. If if Top Rank and PBC and Golden Boy and Matchroom all just bought into that and said, you know what, each of us, like, you know, we'll, we'll put, you know, a, a weight division on, on ESPN, we'll put a weight division on Fox, we'll put a weight division on Showtime, we'll put, a, you know, maybe two weight divisions on Zone because they got the, the biggest budget. Like, you know, that's 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 five weight divisions you could do. And listen, you could tailor it so, you know, if Top Rank's got the top fighters at lightweight, you do the lightweight, you know, uh, tournament on ESPN. You know, PBC's got the welterweights, do the welterweights on, on Fox, you know, and the junior middleweights on Showtime. I mean, but just get together, you know, and, and, and if you have, like you said, if you combine, you know, these, you know, like the numbers you could do if there was an organized entity that had the best fighting the best, like the, the TV deals that you have now could just like mushroom. Once you did those numbers, when you have the best, I mean, it's been proven when PBC put, you know, Porter and Thurman together, you know, millions of people watched, you know, when, when Loma fought on, on regular ESPN and in, in, in a good fight, you know, it, it, it draws millions like boxing does big numbers when the best fight the best and and to have it you know finally structured and organized where the best fight the best and you you come up with one champion per division and you know you could count on that happening i'm just like it's it's not rocket science but we just have to like you know fight through the 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 like you said the kind of the the traditional animosity that some of these entities have with each other and and and, and just see that you know the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts you know Absolutely. Well, eventually, and when, when we have another uh, time to sit down, I'll, I'll share with you some other things we've been working on that I think uh, might be able to bring us closer to that. <laughs> but yeah. we'll see. You know, you know like, um, everything takes time to change. and But, um, uh, you know, hopefully one point in time it happens for our sport. It would be great to be able to see a collective industry be able to get you know boxing in the newspapers even right. you know where, where you know you got sports every sport's got their standings and everything else but you know you really don't see boxing um and that's a, obviously a minor thing but it's just an example of the kinds of things that should be occurring in our sport right 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 yeah absolutely absolutely and 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 you hit it on the head yeah i think if if boxing actually got it together and had a structure like that where you could follow, you know, uh, you know, there was one organization. They're organ, you know, the, the organizing the tournaments were the best fight, the best. You know, um, people would would come back to following it because you finally could, you know, because it's not about you know four different champions in the same division. You know, you're having the best fight, the best to determine one, and I think that's that's you know where boxing has kind of gone wrong and kind of lost the general sports fan is they can't really follow. You know, they have that progression like you have in all the other sports where, you know, you have the playoffs and the playoffs determine a champion. Boxing, you know, right now has four different champions, sometimes even more than that. And it just, you know, I mean, that's fine. 
You know, I, I wouldn't say dismantle the sanctioning bodies. That you know, I mean, it, it helps with promotion. It helps fighters earn more when when they have belts. But just have it where you know, every couple of years, each weight division does a tournament so that you determine you know who is the best fighter in that division. I think that would definitely bring a lot more fans to the sport. You'd have the best fighting the best, and they could actually follow it, and it would the sport would actually make sense. <laughs> you know, to the general sports. Yeah. Fan. <laughs> yeah. We gotta, we gotta make it make sense to them. We gotta create it, and you know, ultimately, though, hopefully, we'll get more towards that. And you know, it's, it's not an easy solution because you know, it's like you mentioned about the sanctioning bodies. You know, in a lot of respects, the sanctioning bodies are good. You know, and you need them right um, in the structure we're in right now because you know, certain fighters just don't get an opportunity if without a sanctioning body, right? Um, so, I mean, there's just so many different, you know, angles and, you know, facets to this diamond in, in the rough that we have. Right. Uh, it's just, it's just, we got to, you know, we'll keep, you know, we'll keep working. The diamond cutter's got to keep working on the diamond. You know? <laughs> well, I remember, too, with, with the BPA, I remember at a certain point when, when the membership started to, to grow, I remember didn't didn't the sanctioning bodies kind of reach out to you guys and say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we need yes, to meet with you yes. guys to uh, to see if you're not going to put us out of business." Absolutely, and I had a lot of meetings with with all of them, um, you know, and and actually, you know, we made some good progress with them in a lot of respects on certain things, also, and you know, you could see that we could have got to the point where we were able to foster and create that, you know, that unified champion right. of the sanction and, and, and each of them having a role in the position, um, you know, again, keeping them. So you could have a WBA champion, you could have a WBO champion or a WBC champion. Um, but then all of them, get together and are a part of the process to have that one world champion. Right. Um, you know, which, which, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, like, again, a lot of dynamics to it, you know, right. I, I, uh, you know, and there's a lot of things you look at the sanctioned bodies, uh, that are wrong, but you also see a lot of good things, good, good things that they've done and that they, they've, um, you know, been an integral, integral part of, you know, helping boxing um, and right. boxers. So right. it goes both ways, you know. Right. It's just, that's what makes it so hard, and that's why I really so strongly feel that, you know, if we had a unified organizational structure, that would be very good because you, 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 you would have everybody's input. And, right. You know, not one group knows it all, uh, but working together, you can always make this thing so much better. Uh, especially if you're all bound by the same rules and part of the same rules. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, with the World Boxing Super Series, I really like the way they've kind of handled the, the sanctioning bodies. It's like, you know, I mean, it's it's a tournament, you know, and, and you know, once once the guys enter the tournament, they can't be stripped of the title. You know, they'll they'll try and honor the mandatories if they can. But but for the most part, you know, the the winner of the World Boxing Super Series, you know, to me is like, you know, that, that's that's the champion in the division. And if we just had, you know, all of the promoters kind of buy in and 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 you know, uh, you know, kind of do tournaments like that, like every other sport does, 
um, I think we'd really have something. I think we'd really have something. So, uh, so hey, Joe, here's here's the hoping. You know, you 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 know, we can pull it off for the sport, man. <laughs> you know, finally get everybody uh, organized and and in line with all the other sports for the best uh, fight, the best, and 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 you have playoffs and and a champion, and and people can follow the sport. You know, um, but you yeah, know, absolutely. Well, right now we know we gotta. The biggest struggle and battle we got to do is to, you know, let us get these guys back in the ring. Right. And and ultimately, you know, hopefully this um, the, uh, COVID situation becomes one that, you know, the government is um, okay with uh, having fans get together again and moving back with our lives again. Yeah, yeah, you know, hopefully uh hopefully medical science can can get its get its arms around this thing so we can all, you know, go out and socialize safely. I mean, that's that's really what absolutely. it's going to come down to. So, yeah, absolutely. So. And and uh look, you know it'll happen. It's just a question of when and how long right. it's going to take. Right. How much you know? how much pain we're going to have to endure before then. Exactly. So, exactly. It's crazy. Well, hey, you know, I'm an optimist and I know you are too and and Joe it's just it's great talking to you, man, and uh you know, good Same luck. Same here, Kurt. And same here, you know, and that optimism, we got to here's what we're like, okay? We know we lost the first few rounds in this COVID fight, you know. <laughs> we're getting hit a little bit, you know. Absolutely. But, you gotta, you gotta have endurance, and then we'll win. It'll be, it'll be, we'll end up getting a late round knockout. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, my man, Joe. Take care. All right, good speaking, Kurt. All right, my man. Talk to you. Bye. All right. Bye. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast, presented by The Ring and RingTV.com, and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. I'd like to thank Joe DeGuardia for taking the time to speak with me. Really appreciate it. Um, if you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audioboom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. Really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast. And also, do not forget to check out my companion piece of this podcast on ringtv.com that will also feature quotes and background on the interview with Joe. And until next time, so long, everybody. Looking for?